0: Hi everyone, Lucy Kippist here, editor of Flying Solo. This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Flying Solo's premium membership, a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out from the crowd, all for just $99. Head to our joining page to find out more. Imagine you've spent a considerable time cultivating a career in the city and then you decide to take your family and life to a country town. The lifestyle is terrific but what do you do with your finely honed skills? That's what today's guest, Joe Palmer, experienced, and it's also the why behind her incredible business, Pointer Remote Roles, which she runs from her family farm at The Rock in the Riverina region of New South Wales. Welcome to the podcast, Jo.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Lucy. It's
0: a pleasure to be able to speak to you again. First up, I wanted to have a quick chat about Pointer Remote Roles. So that's your business, and as I said in the intro, you started it after making a lifestyle change. Can you tell us a bit about how you made the leap into running your own business?
1: Um, Sure. Well, mine was more of a lifestyle change of uh, reigning in my wild, child free, young, early married life (laughs) years overseas, (laughs) and then coming back to regional Australia was where I. um, I sort of I came back. I'm I'm a teacher by trade, and there's lots of teaching jobs. But it was more that um, I was very aware of my regionally based friends were um, quite often underemployed or weren't working at all. They weren't were working in in jobs that they weren't qualified for or they were overqualified for, or they weren't working as much as they wanted to be working. And um, I sort of just was thinking, this is ridiculous. Um, I suppose, not waste, I suppose, of talent that's that's sitting in in regional Australia that's not being utilised when they've got all these skills and experience from quite often from corporate careers and um, they've made the choice to to move regionally and and we're not taking advantage of them in the Australian workforce. Mm.
0: All very good reasons. And what makes you so passionate about what you're doing? Because you're obviously very passionate
1: um well i think that probably initially comes from from my teaching background I've, I've taught in in lots of small rural schools in my career and um witnessed firsthand what that um that lack of, of opportunities for employment and things can mean for a rural town and if there's not employment opportunities to keep families there then they leave and that that real social decline closes small schools. That means that mm. that shops and, and organisations in those rural communities suffer because they haven't got the, the number of people living there. And so I think um, because I've witnessed firsthand what the closing of a school actually does to a rural community, it's... it's it's really it's really quite a um a sad thing to happen because quite often they are the, the focal point of the town. They're up there with the school and the pub are generally the uh the two the two spots <laughs> in town that are, are vital to a a town's sort of culture and community. And um yeah, when access to work is difficult and challenging for people, it it's it's hard to keep them there.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, this is a great idea to sort of stem it off at the pass. You mentioned that you trained as a teacher. Now, that's a, for want of a much better word, a very sensible job. And I imagine a job that's, you know, fairly easy to, to get regardless of where you are. So, starting a business not exactly the easy option um, from where you
1: are. <laughs> no, I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment. This is actually the third, <laughs> this is the third business that I've started. <laughs> Oh really? Um, Yeah, yes. So my first business was a lot more education related. I had a um, a a comprehensive learning centre that I had running in in three towns in southern New South Wales, and so we ran um, tutoring for kids from preschool through to um, year twelve, and we did school holiday programs and things, and so. um, at our peak, we were running, um, we had about 30 teachers working for us across the three towns. And so that was my first sort of experience managing people remotely that were living across, um, I suppose a, a yeah, a distributed team. So, um, well, I suppose, and that's a, a segue into then when I got to experience the, the other side of remote working was, um, I landed a job with, that was working for um, an organization that was Sydney based. And mm-hmm. um, I did it remotely from my kitchen bench, and that segued into starting another business. So it, the, that job that I was doing was managing the sponsorship for an event, and a friend and I thought, "Hang on, if one event would like this, then I'm sure there's lots of other events, especially in the agricultural industry." And so we started a company that did sponsorship and event management in the in the ag space, and again ran it remotely from um, from our farms. So one half an hour north of Wagga and myself half an hour south of Wagga. Wow.
0: And it makes (laughs) sense because, you know, all you need is an internet connection.
1: Yeah. And look, that is still a roadblock for people all over Australia and we're very aware Mm. of that being a barrier to entry for both businesses and um, people looking to work remotely. Like it's a real challenge. If you can't do a video call or be transferring like documents or data and everything being cloud based this, this um, in this day and age, it's a challenge, and you can't do it like it pretty much is a it's a it's a real it's a real block for people that don't have a good internet connection,
0: yeah, and look, that's not something that's at all related specifically just to people in the country I mean. I had you in here a few weeks ago in our own office in the middle of Sydney CVD, and struggled with, with Wi-Fi. Like, it's just, yeah, it's the most frustrating thing and hopefully there can be something done about it so that we can all just get on board because, as you say, it's really the only thing that sort of limits the, the process. So Yeah, we'll, well, yeah a,
1: well, sorry, I was going to say to no, you a extent, know, look, I you're think fine. that... Um, that a, a, a challenge, yes, is connectivity, but if you've got it, the next biggest challenge that we face is people's mindset around it. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think are, people... That, yes. You go. Oh, I was just going to say that people that live in rural areas, are, um, I think, are quite used to the tyranny of distance and um, are, I suppose a bit more used to sort of thinking outside the box on, on how to employ people or how to actually make it work. Um, so we've had actually a lot of, of uptake in, in rural businesses, but it's definitely a challenge that we're facing with, um, with organisations that are, that are metro-based or, or even just in regional centres. They sort of think, oh, well, um, if I can't see that person sitting at their desk, how do I know that they're working? So that, that's another big challenge that we yeah. face.
0: And what do you say, like what's your response to that?
1: Um, oh, look, I've got bolder and cheekier the longer I've been doing this, and my general rebuttal to that is, uh, well, how do you know that person sitting in your office is doing any work either? Like, are they working to KPIs or OKRs, or do they have task-based jobs um, or roles within their their position that you're actually measuring? And quite often when you say that to an employer, they're like... Oh actually I've got no idea i I see them. I assume they're working. We generally get to where we need to be, so I think yep. that, that um that's generally my my answer to that,
0: yeah, and that's a good answer. I actually did a story myself a couple of weeks ago on on quoting some serious productivity um stats that suggested that when you work in an office you're interrupted around every eight minutes when you're in an environment like that, which is such an awesome amount of wasted time when you have that up throughout the day. So that to me stands out as, you know, one of the massive benefits of being remote working. And remote working is something that's becoming slightly more common. I mean, even, you know, in my own circle of friends, I know that that's become an option in some corporate roles to work, you know, a day or or two from home a week. Do you think that there is etiquette involved when you're running a team that's partly remote
1: or fully remote for that matter? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think that um, that hybrid model that you just sort of described for that your friends are are working where it might be sort of flexible that you're in the office sometimes and then working from home or a co-working space other days. I think that that model, if you can nail it, it really benefits like everyone that's working there. I think that if you're going to allow flexibility for your staff or you're going to engage people completely remotely, that communication etiquette, and we we call it communication hygiene, um, is absolutely Mm -hmm. vital and you need to go into the working arrangement or the hire um, with a really clear idea and understanding around what that looks like in your organisation. So, like, for example, yep. so we have a, we have a, a no internal email policy at PointUp. So I've got a completely distributed team. My, my team are across three states. And, um, we don't send emails internally because we sort of find that you end up getting CC'd into things you don't need to be CC'd into. You go to try and find sure. something that someone emailed ages ago, can't remember the date or whatever. So, we um we use project management software that all of our communication happened in and it was quite funny actually transitioning over to from email is that I would get an email from one of the team and I would cut and paste their question or whatever into the project management software and then answer them there. <laughs> They'd be like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> Slightly aggressive <laughs> way of getting them on board, but it um it's stuck after a week or so. It was hilarious. But I think that yes, there is definitely um etiquette to it. But what we find is those those businesses with the hybrid setup that they report back that the communication between their team members that are in the office improves as well. that you sort of get mm. lazy. Quite often you'll email someone that's sitting two desks away from you or or things, but I
0: think when
1: you're then trying to include someone that's not physically in the office, you're better at including everyone. So like we've got some clients that do, um, they've got a hybrid team and they have a rule that if one person is not going to be um, physically present for the meeting, then everyone does it from video call. So everyone sits at their desk with their mm. headphones on, even if you're in the office, so that everyone is sitting there on the screen together. You can you don't get left out. You're not that person that's sitting up on the on the screen that someone accidentally muted and you're waiting <laughs> nice. like a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to so, I think can't, so that you want I to Yeah. Or um, I had a describe how she um she was a partner in a law firm that she was the only remote um, partner and she would quite often be sitting on the, you know, the, the video call box in the middle of the table and she said everyone would be eating their lunch and all she could hear was like chewing but not the people talking.
0: Oh, that's awful. <laughs> oh, that's my worst nightmare. So gross. Oh, that's awful.
1: So gross. So, yeah, but even just putting things like that in there that um, – you can actually sort of uh, you as the manager are also watching how engaged people are in the meeting like when you're all sitting on a screen in front of your boss you're a lot more engaged and you
0: there's no more get, hiding
1: yes no no and you get through your meetings quicker like i know that people are quite often like oh god their calendar is stuffed by meetings, but if you are getting those like visual cues and you can see that you're either losing interest of the team or you're like, okay, you can see that everyone's itching to get back to things. You can get through things faster. It's a really, like a, a really interesting thing to do. And like I said, the people that were um, putting these processes in place um, found, saw improvements in the communication um, with the, the in-office staff as well.
0: That's a great, there's some great ideas in that. Now. Not only do you find people with full-time roles in the business, you were also telling me the other day that you match people with skills to small businesses on a part-time or contracting basis. Can you just tell us a bit about how that works?
1: Sure. Well, Pointer, like we, um, we are a job-matching platform for remote work. So we connect business with talent that works remotely anywhere in Australia. And so it might be mm-hmm. that you need someone to do you a, a new logo and that's like a nice short term gig you physically don't need that person to come and sit in your office like while you're um while you're doing that you don't want to engage them as a as an, an employee or whatever a lot of the candidates we've got looking for work on our platform have their own abn and a, um a set up to contract businesses as well which is really cool but um yeah we if you if you physically don't need someone on the tools in your business then we can advertise the positions for you so um that might be a short term contract, it might be a part-time permanent job, it could be a full-time permanent job. Um it's just a, a really good way of of tapping into to a talent pool that you actually need for those skills. And I think like we were talking um previously about this concept, especially for small business, hiring someone is a really big deal. Like I've I've yes. done that this year, I made my first full-time permanent employee higher and um, it's really thank you thank you thank you but it's really daunting I'd always had contractors working to me and there's this element of um, security knowing that you're not like oh gosh that person is not completely dependent on me for everything that goes on in their life um, I think that that's a real challenge for a lot of small businesses, and I think um, quite often when you you save up or you forecast and budget and say, okay, it's time that to, I can afford, say, a full like one FTE. I think that we then quite often go searching for that unicorn that they think is going to do everything for them in their business Cover to get it bases. off their plate. Yeah. yeah, and so what we're finding is that a lot of small businesses are coming to us and say, right, I can afford to put one person on, whether it's full-time or in a contract or um, as an employee or whatever that looks like, that these are the skills that I need. And I said, well, rather than trying to find that jack-of-all-trades, why don't you look at employing two or three possibly part-time people who are actually incredibly experienced and specialised in those key areas that you need? So you're actually employing someone that nails that part of what you need doing Times three, two or three times so that you're, um, you're actually getting the skills that you need rather than sort of trying to jam that square peg in a round hole and make this, this, this one person that you decide make to put on. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where we're, we're finding that, um, small businesses finding us a really helpful option. And again, quite often if you're putting people on, on contracts that your business at different stages of growth needs different skills. So being able to tap into yeah, that's that. That's right that part-time contractor, um, like, candidate pool means that then, okay, well, we've outgrown that part and we don't need those skills anymore or you might drop them back to say, okay, well, we need that one on more of like a maintenance thing and that person might then, say, do a day a week for you. But, okay, well, we're really looking to grow now. So we need to put someone on with a marketing background for six to 12 months to really hit go on this or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting... Mm different way of looking at it that um, gives people a bit more flexibility um, and quite often the people that are filling those positions have got a couple of clients or a couple of jobs that they're doing similar things for or they only want to work part-time themselves we've got a lot of people that are looking for just part-time work so yeah, yeah. a different yeah, way of hiring awesome. people
0: it's a really clever clever way of, of looking at it. I think that's almost worthy of an article itself on that. Um, we'll the last thing it. I wanted to talk about, <laughs> it, we'll hop to it right now. I um, the, um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is you know, probably one of the most important, is that given that you're based in a rural region and you're sort of advocating for people in rural places, so as we know, you know, the drought's a massive issue across Australia in different pockets. And you're obviously working with people who are either in those areas or perhaps working towards solutions for them. Something that you said to me um, the other day when you were visiting us here in the office was that employing people in rural areas is actually the most effective way to help drought-stricken communities. I just wanted to get you to flesh that out a little bit, because I think it's a really important point and I'd like to hear, yeah, sort of a bit more about
1: it. Listen to me making outrageous claims like it's the best way. (laughs) (laughs) I think it is a a fabulous way and a really, um, I think quite often businesses in metro areas um, feel this like, well, and not businesses, but humans all over Australia, they sort of think that there's this almost Feeling of helplessness, where you see all these horrific videos and footage and things on TV about dust storms that are coming through towns every three hours, and I think that it can, it becomes, you feel a bit helpless. And I think that um, what we've sort of found is businesses that we've been dealing with of late, as the weather conditions have sort of got progressively worse for a lot of the um, the the eastern seaboard. is that it's a really effective way to help people in a drought affected area if you can give them a wage it is completely improving their well, look their mental health around the fact that they can feel like okay this isn't a handout this is an actual job that I work for that I then spend my money locally and I um, I stimulate my own local economy and it's something that then continues on once it rains and it will rain and, um, these communities will continue to thrive as rural communities do. But what happens is that that employer doesn't then say, okay, it's rained now. So we're going to finish you up. They're going to say, okay, this is business as usual and you stick with that, that career that is, is putting a really, um, A really valuable and consistent wage into a family and especially for people that are on farm that is um, an amazing thing for them to be able to do for themselves but also for a business to be able to not only you getting someone amazing that works for you that you really you know that you're making a really big impact in that real rural area and it's not just for people on farms and I think that that's quite a a challenge for, for people that live in rural areas that are not related or directly involved in agriculture is that there's um, a lot of media and things around farming families which is fabulous and it's really great to see that support but I think that um, quite often who gets sort of missed out on that is is rural businesses that depend they offer products and sell the services and things in those areas but if there's not well, one, the people or two, the money to be spending in those towns, they really suffer. And if you think about like farming families that are not going to get a, a wool check or a grain check or something coming through that they're not spending those, that money, then those businesses are having to lay off people that are working, say, in the admin of the local tyre shop. Like if people aren't buying tyres, then they also aren't making money. Yep. And so that it's, um, it's a really it's a really interesting sort of thing just to be thinking about when you are hiring. Even though like our the candidates that we've got in our platform, you can register with Pointer from anywhere in Australia, whether you're metro, regional, rural or remote. Um, but yeah, we've got a, a good, good percentage of our of our candidates looking for worker based in rural areas.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's um it's just awesome to speak with you, Joe, and I love everything that you're talking about. Where is the best place for people to go and check you out? I know you're on Instagram. Is do you want to give us your Instagram um, handle and maybe your website as well?
1: Sure. So our Instagram handle is Pointer Remote and our website is pointer AU. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to connect. It's Joe Palmer. Um, it's always really great chatting with business owners that are, are really interested in doing things a bit differently, and and um and they're benefiting. Like I said, not only just the warm and fuzzies of putting on people, like I say, if you hire rurally, but like the financial benefits of actually looking at this as a as an option for your human resources in your business, like the bottom line actually speaks for itself with hiring remotely. With yeah, warm and fuzzies aside, it's actually a really financially beneficial way to, to staff people in your business.
0: Thanks so much for that, Joe. Look forward to speaking to you again soon.
1: Thanks for having me.